Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Everyday Millionaire Podcast. My name is Patrick Francie, and I'm the CEO and managing partner of the Real Estate Investment Network. In addition to being a business owner, I'm also a real estate investor. I'm a coach, a husband, recently a grandfather. Now, along with that, I'm also committed to stretching beyond what I've achieved by continuing to elevate in living a fulfilled life by making a positive difference in my world. I'm going to invite you to join me as I delve into the details of the many wins of my guests in achieving their goals, along with, shall we say, the frustrations of the occasional deal gone wrong, because my guests are here to help you learn by talking about what's real for them in business and investing in real estate, from the life they're now able to live to the person they become along the way as they pursued their dreams in having the freedom they've gained by building a sustainable financial future for them and their family. Good day, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to this episode of the Everyday Millionaire Podcast. As always, before I introduce my next guest, I'd like to start by first thanking you. For listening in and for your support and the feedback you provide us on the show and to remind and continue to encourage you to send any of your comments, your suggestions, or any questions you might have directly to me at CEO at RainCanada.com. That is CEO at RainCanada.com. And if you're inclined, I'd really appreciate it if you were to share this show with your friends, your family, people you know. Get it out there, and while you're at it, rate the show and comment on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, or whatever platform you happen to use to listen in. And please follow us on the Everyday Millionaire Facebook page, where you can like us, rate us, comment. Let's get that Facebook page going. Happy to answer any comments that you might make. So thanks again for the feedback you provide the team and I. It is sincerely appreciated, and we're going to do our best to always put it to good use. So let's get this show started, shall we? I'm joined today by a veteran real estate investor and long-term RAIN member, Derek Peaver. I'll begin by just taking 60 seconds or so to give you a bit of Dave's background. And I want to start by first saying that in the context of seemingly ordinary people achieving extraordinary results, RAIN member from Vancouver, Derek Peaver epitomizes every bit of that statement. Now, he has a growing business, Peaver Con Properties, which is an Abbotsford-based company, and he originally founded that with a good friend of his, Carson Kahn. Now, Carson went on to pursue other goals in business and in life, but Derek continued and to carry on with Peaver Con as the sole owner and driving the growth of that business. Derek has climbed a long and interesting road to success growing up in Vancouver's lower mainland and the Fraser Valley, and he worked many jobs through during his early high school years, ranging from paper routes to gas stations, concrete pouring, washing dishes, just to name a few, of course. And he's got a real reputation as a hardworking and very loyal kind of guy. Now, ultimately, Derek landed in the West Coast marine industry, where he worked and excelled for nearly a decade. Really cool jobs and stories I know I'm going to pull out of him to share about his time on tugboats. But today, Derek's really pursuing his true passion in life. And that's the people and the businesses associated with Peaver Con Group of Companies and his role in real estate investing and as a real estate investor. Derek really sees himself as a visionary entrepreneur with a 
pretty clear picture of what the future holds for his group of companies. He has an incredible appetite for knowledge in the fields of self-improvement, leadership and management, real estate, of course, business, and he's really adopted a lifelong learning attitude. With over 100 real estate transactions under his belt since 2006 and five active businesses, Derek continues to grow in both his businesses and in the returns for his investors. He's a leader, he's a supporter of other RAIN members and in those in the RAIN community and people outside of the community. And of course, in all of his relationships, Derek regularly stops, slows down, listens, hears, takes the time to connect and teach and support others. Today, Derek has agreed to join me and to share just some of his journey and a few of the lessons in his story, hopefully as support, but also as inspiration for you on your journey. Let's hear from our guest. Derek Peaver, welcome to the Everyday Millionaire Podcast, my friend. I'm so looking forward to this interview. How are you doing today? Excellent. Thank you for having me. You know, it's interesting, Derek, you know, you've been a RAIN member for how many years now? I think it's going on 11 years. Yeah, a long time. And as much as I see you, what's interesting about you, and uh, I want to really want to dig into this, is I've known you over the years, but you just kind of quietly run in the background, but quietly, not quietly. So I'm going to dig into how Derek Peaver does the magic that Derek Peaver does. And uh, let me just start by helping our listeners get to know you a little bit better. One of my favorite questions to kick it off is, do you have a kind of 30-second, 60-second elevator pitch that you have an answer for when somebody says, Derek, what do you do? Yes, I would say that uh, my main business is called Super Suites. And what we do is we do fully furnished and equipped accommodations, and we help people that have had fire or flood in their home. Okay, so let's go back. Now, you've been a RAIN member for 11 years. We'll jump around a little bit here. And I know that listeners have given me feedback that they like to really get into the real estate conversation when I'm talking to RAIN members or real estate investors. You're a young guy. How old are you now? I am 34. You're like, you're a kid. You're a child. Darn it. Good for you, by the way. I'm turning 60. So that's why, to me, everybody seems so young. That's cool. So go back. You're 24 years old, 23, 24 years old when you join Rain. when you start thinking about real estate. Had you started investing in that time? Like, how did you end up in the Rain room? And why was real estate your go-to gig? What was that all about? Yeah, so basically, you know, I, my background is in the marine industry. I worked on the tugboats. That's what my grandpa, my dad, my brother all do. And I had a good job. And then I happened to hear about the book Rich Dad, Poor Dad from a lady named Kelly Fry. And that was really the paradigm shift moment for me, where I kind of changed my life plan and decided that I had to buy real estate and to afford the Harley and the boat later on, not trying to pay for that out of my earned income. And uh, that basically led me on the path of starting to go to seminars where I bumped into RAIN members actually at uh, fast track to cash flow seminar, Russell Westcott. There you go. And her boat, uh, Rain, and just the people that seem to be Rain members seem to be the, like the best quality people at those events. So that's what led me over. And also around that time, my business partner Carson had found some online audio of Don Campbell talking about the seasons of real estate. Yes. So we basically pooled our money so that I could go to the 
quick start in 2007. So we just sent me because I take better notes. And um, right away that weekend, I, I didn't know exactly how I was going to pay for it, but I just signed up as a member because I felt like I even went up to Don Campbell and I said, I shook his hand and I, he signed my book and, he, and I said, I finally feel like I found my home. And then I remember he grabbed my bicep and he said, well done. <laughs> there <laughs> but, you uh, go. That's yeah, great. Typical Don. Uh, now, now, Carson, your, your partner. Now, what, was, what were you doing at the time when you had a business partner at that age? Well, he was basically my best friend. And when I started talking to everybody about real estate and what I was learning, he was really interested. And he was a bit of an entrepreneur as well. He owned a company called Curb Canada that did the decorative curbs in people's yards. Right. So he had a bit of a flexible schedule and an off season and everything. So we basically got together to buy our first condo in Agassiz in March 2006. And him and I renovated it, basically. So we both put up a quarter of the down payment. My dad and his dad put up a quarter of the down payment each. And um, Carson and I qualified for the mortgage, which was just tiny. Yes. And basically, that's how we got started. Now, is Carson still one of your partners? Is he still doing what he's doing? And is he one of your partners to this day? Or no, that... he left the company around 2010 mm -hmm. uh, to go do other things. He, he, you know, when real estate's not booming, it's, as you know, it's not the most exciting business. It's a lot of hard work and basically minimal wage if, if best at, at the low times. So it got to a point where it was just a lot of work and you know not much end of light at the end of the tunnel at that point and and he was much more passionate about uh inventions and patents and things like that so he went to pursue other things basically cool now kelly fry i mean gosh she's been a rain member for a long time as well and so she was part of your getting started and helping you out early on kind of as a mentor role model was that the scenario with kelly and you you know, it's it's it really wasn't actually. She's more of a mentor these days than early. I actually just took a, a real chance ride in a car with her. Um, my friend worked for her and we gave her a ride from the airport back to Pitt Meadows. And she told us all about her properties in Winnipeg and Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And after that, I didn't see her for several years. Oh. I actually bumped into her at a rain seminar and ran over to her and give her, gave her a big hug and said, you know, thanks for getting me started. But after that initial encounter, I didn't see her for a long time. So she kind of turned my light bulb on. And like the very next day I went to chapters and bought that book. Whereas my friend who was listening to the same conversation in the same car, you know, never got going on the, on the series and, you know, is still somewhat struggling. So this goes to show you that you got to mention these books and mention rain in conversations because every once in a while, somebody will really grab it and go with it. So let's talk about what you're doing a little bit right now. And then I want to go back to where you started again and, and really talk about your journey to getting here today, because you talk about tugboats and you just bought a tugboat. Is that what you did? Or you bought a fleet of tugboats? I don't know what the story is. Tell me about your tugboats right now. Yeah, so interesting. Like you can see it behind me, Patrick. I hung the uh, personal beliefs in my kitchen that I wrote in March 2008. Yes. At the quick start. So this year is actually my Belize year. And it's crazy how it works. You know, like I'd say probably 80% of the stuff that I wrote back then has come true. 
the only thing that hasn't come fully to fruition is my, you know, really lofty net worth goal. But I'm definitely, it's like you shoot for the stars and land on the moon or whatever that saying sure, is, right? Yeah. So, you know, it's, it's, it's really cool. And, and like you say, this year we bought a, uh, a Nordic tug. So it's basically a yacht. It's a 45 foot tug that's built in Washington state, sleeps seven people. And we're actually going to be in the charter business. So, you know, there's all kinds of different types of charter, like bare boat charter or flotilla or even like firework tours and stuff like that. So the idea is that we'll be able to enjoy the boat maybe 25% of the time or so and have it cover itself or maybe even make a profit. So that's great. And, you know, listeners should know that you live in the Fraser Valley. And mm-hmm. so access to uh, water is pretty, uh, pretty easy for you and uh, as it is for us. And uh, that's really great. So that was part of your Belize. That was part of your dream. And that's really cool. I'm excited for you. Congratulations for being able to, to take that on. You know, the power of the Belize, I hear these stories all the time. And I'll share a quick story with you. Stephanie and I were once flying back from Mexico. This was many years ago. And as we were on the plane, we were doing some goal setting because we'd just come off a great vacation and we we're Cabo San Lucas. It was, we were down there for six weeks. It was really cool. And we were writing our goals and we wrote our goals and it all came from whatever book we were reading. And it just so happens that as we landed, one of us placed this list of 10 or 12 goals that we had set in the book. And that was it. We landed, got into our life and away things went. It was about, Almost a year later to the day, I was in Stephanie's office and we were cleaning the office and this book was on the shelf and I just happened to grab it and flip through it and this page was in there, this list of goals. And of the 10 or 12 goals were, that were on the, the, in the book that we had written that we had never returned to from the day we wrote them on the airplane, we had hit all 12 of them. And it wasn't that they were little goals or things to do. I mean, it was there was some pretty cool stuff. And uh, so, anyways, you know, it is there is some magic in all of that. And and really, the writing and and setting up your Belize, getting some pictures in there, is a pretty powerful uh, thing to do. So that's just cool. I wanted to kind of emphasize that for some of the listeners. So absolutely. Now, tugboats is is a result of your real estate. Now you're doing some pretty cool things with real estate. So give us a little bit of a update on what you've done and what you're doing right now because you're super sweeting and you're you're really getting into some big projects and some energetic projects. Tell me a little bit more about that. Sure. Yeah. So basically, with super sweets. Around two years ago, two, three years ago, we, we decided to expand from BC, where we're based. We go from New Westminster to Chilliwack on both sides of the river. And we decided to make the leap over to Calgary when, when there was the downturn, because I'm a big believer in you know, Warren Buffett's philosophy and doing the opposite of the masses and that kind of thing. So I've got a really good friend uh, in Calgary that wanted to get into real estate full time. He's a rain member as well. and basically got started there and then that led to another thing to another thing and we wound up in winnipeg edmonton ottawa so what we're doing basically is we're we're typically buying brand new condos at two stages of the game one is when they're trying to get their construction financing when the developer is trying to get their construction financing so pre-sale before it's built and then the other stage is like in calgary right now 
there's buildings that are built, they're move-in ready, and we'll come in and buy the standing inventory that's not moving. And we'll try to buy in bulk. So by bulk, I mean maybe four units to six units, maybe eight units, and um, you know, hopefully get a good deal that way, uh, get a little bit of buying power. So Super Suites is expanding across Canada right now. I think the big project that you're referencing is the Mahogany in Abbotsford, where I'm part of a group that's buying 54 units to do independent living for seniors. And that's something I've been researching for quite a few years. I, I gave a talk at Rain sharing the research that I did. And it's really excited to put it into practice. That building is completing in December of this year. So, you know, right now it's just a lot of book smarts and stuff, but it's very, it's very comparable to Super Suites in the sense that we have the same housekeeping teams. It's the same kind of value add rental product, just with a few little changes. So I think, I think it's going to go really good. So tell me about, for listeners that aren't familiar with Super Suites, can you tell me a little bit about Super Suites? What are they? What do they do? What do you do with them? How did you come to that conclusion that Super Suites was the way to go? Yeah, so I first learned about furnished rentals at Rain probably around 2007, eight. It was quite early on. A lady named Catherine Brooker, a realtor from Calgary, came out to BC and talked about what she was doing with oil and gas clients on furnished and equipped homes. And I'd heard the term super suites out of like Port McMurray referring to fully furnished and equipped condos. And it was just kind of a, a lingo out there. So we started just marketing our stuff on Craigslist and Kijiji as furnished super suites in Abbotsford. We tried our first one in Abbotsford, thinking that we would rent to nurses from the hospital because I had a, a chance encounter with Solution Staffing who was looking for looking to furnish one of my unfurnished rentals. And basically, that's how Super Suites got going. And, and what it is, is we, we do a really good job fully furnishing the property, thinking of all the little details, like the iron organizers, you know, two bedrooms are going to have you know, 12 wine glasses and comfortable seating for enough people and all those little kind of details. We're residential uh, landlords operating under the Residential Tenancy Act. So we use all the same contracts and inspection reports. We just include it fully furnished and equipped and basically turnkey with all the utilities and, and that kind of thing. We're minimum one month. Our average stay is probably around three months. And our typical client is somebody who's had a flood or a fire. And the insurance adjusters hopefully will think super suites, call us, and we'll try to de-stress that really stressful situation for them. So they're not calling the adjuster every single day, wondering when their home's ready and, and that kind of thing. But we also do a lot of corporate relocation. There's people that have just sold a home and the next home is not ready yet. So there's all, all kinds of different people that use our service. You know, it's, it's an interesting strategy to use. And I remember the talk that Catherine Brooker did back at that time. And I mean, she had it dialed in tight. She had it figured out. And to your point, you know, you're going above and beyond to deliver on a really impeccable product that people go in there. And to your point, if they're under, especially if they're in a stressful situation, it's all there. They can, it's a turnkey. They show up and they're handled. And, and you've done a great job of 
delivering on that. So in the operation of a super suite, Derek, how much of this have you been able to, you've got a team, you've got, you hire staff, are you still kind of in the trenches yourself handling things, you or your partner? How are you, how are you managing this particular turnover and getting clients looked after? So for the longest time, I did all the move-ins myself and I would have one cart full of tools and bulbs and touch-up pens and then another little briefcase on wheels with all the paperwork. And I would always get there, you know, an hour before minimum and I would do all the little detail stuff, make sure the doors aren't squeaking and all the little, you know, felt pads on the chairs, those kind of little details. And I did that a long time you know, a lot longer than most people would think. Like I know you talk a lot about the business of real estate and Don doesn't really recommend doing your own property management and stuff, but I did it for a long time. And just recently with the big lift in the market, I finally felt comfortable to kind of start, you know, building the team a bit more. And for the last year or so, I haven't done any move-ins. So, you know, I'm more just in the wheelhouse now, like I find if I'm out in the field off my computer, it's not good for anybody because just the volume of emails and stuff. So I'm basically the controller and I have now people that help me with all the errands and repairs and, and whatnot. Right. So your mission control, deploying the team that you need to deploy, where they need to go, what they need to do, how to get and getting that kind of thing looked after. Mm -hmm. Wonderful. Now, so go back now, you're buying, uh, you did the deal in Abbotsford. Uh, was it extended care homes? Is it's that in independent living. Independent living, yes. So that basically means that we don't do meals, meds, or bathing. It's, it's a high-end luxury rental product that's catered towards seniors. Yes. And the key things that we offer really is aging in place renovations. Yes. Aging in place technology and a 24-hour concierge. And then there's a ton of other smaller things that are perks, but those are that's really the crux of what it is. And there's there's resort style amenities on site with pool. There's pharmacy, doctor, bistro, liquor. So it's it's a pretty good setup with three floors of commercial at the base of the tower. Now you bought 54 units in there. You've committed to 54 units in there. How many are in the building? I think overall it's. 170 something. I could, could be wrong on that, but we basically bought uh, five floors out of a 26 story building. And the whole building isn't that. It's just that these, this is what you did with these five floors. That's correct. So basically, we were able to get uh, essentially a rental monopoly that, you know, other people in the building won't be able to rent in our model basically and underbid us it's it's right in the disclosure statement right what what, what it is and, and actually the developer is a one-third partner in our company then do you have a sales team how are you getting investors are you attracting investors or looking after the sales side of it are you what role do you play in that or what role does your team play in that how did you put this all together well you know what's interesting patrick is that one there, that's a big deal for me, obviously. And I didn't raise the investors for that. Uh, the builder actually approached me because I've been buying units in all her buildings all these years. And she's aware of super suites. And you know, early on, I just asked her for a meeting. And I was just some kid off the street, basically, buying a few units. And she thought of me for super suites 
because the original plan was less units than it is now. It grew into this. So she approached me and said she had an investor group who had bought all these units. And would I be interested in giving a proposal to them to basically manage it or partner on it somehow? So that's how that came about was she already had the investor group. And I just, because of, I guess, the good work I've been doing all these years, it fell into my lap. Was she aware of the research that you had been doing on the senior living and the taking the, those units down that path using that strategy? You know, I had already been watching like, you know, seminars online or ULI stuff or, you know, panels and stuff online about seniors housing. I, I read a book called The Future of Seniors Housing, but I wasn't deep at all. This really kicked off the research into seniors housing once because one of the key investors was on the board of Ebenezer Homes. So he had this background and we kind of said, and I told them straight up, I said, this is too many units for super suites. Like this is, you know, oversupply and it's not going to be good. So maybe we do some as high end unfurnished rentals. And, and then this kind of just all evolved. You know, I'm just want to take a minute here because one of the, key points of this podcast is, you know, beyond great stories and introducing people, you know, seemingly ordinary individuals who achieve ex extraordinary results, such as yourself, it's really about learning. And I can't help but go back to one of the things that I, drives me in, in, when I'm on stage and trying to express to people that we got to stretch out of what is doable. We got to look at what is possible. And until you understand what is possible, opportunities can't show up. And, you know, it's interesting that when you talked about super suites and you had listened to Catherine Brooker's, so she had done the, the whole thing on, you know, furnished suites. And it was a really compelling presentation. She was awesome at that time, really inspiring actually. And, the thing about that was that you then saw what was possible and then a chance meeting with solution. What was the company solutions? Staffing. Staffing, right? Well, what's chance about that? The reality of it is, is that if you didn't think or know things were possible, that opportunity would have never presented itself. You know, forge ahead into senior suites in this case that you're talking about. And because you knew or understood that something is possible, this opportunity actually presented itself in a different form, by the way, got it, but then you were able to take it and really leverage the opportunity. And it's, I think it's just important that people that are listening, you're just a prime example of what happens when you consider what's possible and then opportunities can show up because you can see them. If you don't believe it's possible, you'll never see the opportunity. If it dropped in your lap, it will make no sense to you. It's just not, it doesn't exist. And I, I just want to emphasize that because you're really, I guess you are the poster child for that. And just two quick examples here in this short time that we've been on the call. So you're in there, you're doing the seniors, you've got 54 units, you're coming in December, you worked with the developer, they had the investors. And so your role in all of this is what? You've done the research, you said, okay, this is how we want to set the suites up. What, what, what role have you been playing all along in all of this, considering that you've got the investors lined up now, Derek? So we, we have regular meetings where, you know, I, I'm learning a ton from these guys just operating on this level. So I just mostly take the minutes and the meetings and stay quiet and add the odd, you know, value where I can on, on the rental side. But I'm basically a part owner of the Hold Co, 
which owns the building and the land. And then I'm a part owner of the Opco, which is operating the rentals. So, you know, I'm on performance-based pay. It's just like a joint venture, you know, and um, just on a bigger scale. So my percentage is a bit less than it would be on a single deal. But it, it really, for me, it's, again, a, an awesome learning opportunity. I'd almost do it for free just to learn how these guys are doing this and how they structure it. And I've already been playing around with, you know, buying a whole top floor of a high rise in Edmonton with the stuff I've learned on this deal, what to ask for when you're buying in that quantity and how to, how to literally take almost all the risk out of it for yourself when you're the investor and the developer really wants your bulk purchase. That's so terrific. And, and I'm glad that you're sitting in on those meetings. And over the years and more than ever, uh, particularly over the past two or three years for me is that you want to be in rooms where you're absolutely not the smartest person in the room. When you're in a room that you're going, what the hell am I doing here? Like what? That's when you should be there. Anytime you're the smartest person in the room, the question you got to be asking yourself is why am I here? And is it necessary that I am? Because if you're not, the, if you're the smartest person in the room, you're not learning too much. When you're like the dumbest sure. person in the room, it's an awesome yeah. place to be as uncomfortable as I'm sure it is occasionally for you. So good exactly. for you. Yeah, good for you. So take me back a little bit more. And now I don't know if you want to talk about how many or disclose what you own, what your portfolio looks like. I'm good either way. It doesn't matter. It's not a prerequisite, just a curiosity. Um, mm -hmm. have, uh, are you, do you own single family, multifamily? What's your, what's your game? What's the game that you're playing right now? Yeah, so all our early properties were unfurnished rentals. You know, we played around with lease to owns and assignments and wholesaling and all kinds of stuff before we found the sweet spot with the furnished rentals. So we we still do hold a few unfurnished rentals, but over the past two years, we've been selling a lot of that stuff. So we've sold, I think, 22 properties in the last couple of years. And before that, for eight years, we sold two. So it, to me, it's harvest time here in the Fraser Valley. And, you know, we do own two commercial properties in Maple Ridge that were part of an eight unit building that we bought the whole building. Basically, it was a strata title building, but one owner. So we have we have those a um, little bit of commercial experience. But the vast majority of our, you know, 165 titles or whatever it is, is condos and townhouses. So we, we don't own a single detached home. We, we have at certain points over the years, but just really like our condo townhouse strata model as odd as it may sound because stratas do drive me crazy. But when you get a good one, it's, it's a really beautiful thing. So when you consider the Fraser Valley and you're taking money off the table now, you've, you know, you're talking about harvesting. Are you considering the fact that there's still a lot of upward pressure on prices are you looking at it going, let's not be greedy. Let's just get out, put this cash to use somewhere else. Yes. So I, I, there's still a good opportunity. Like phase two at Mahogany Tower, we've tied up 11 units um, and it, the grand opening is Saturday. But when I look at resale properties, you know, by the same builder, 10 years old in Abbotsford, the prices aren't far behind what we're paying brand new. And it's not going to be completed for two years with a fairly low deposit required now. Cash flows. So I'm basically purging 
um, the old stuff and, and trying to maintain or, at least, or grow my inventory. So the chunk coming in is bigger, a lot bigger than the chunk going out. But I've definitely been purging a lot of the older stuff were the ones that caused me trouble in the down times. And we're buying Calgary. We're buying Edmonton, Winnipeg, Ottawa. So and a lot of refinancing going on as well here in BC to buy where it's a buyer's market. But long haul, like we've done great on stuff we bought at the last peak in 2006-7, even though some of it corrected 10, 20%. You know, you just hold it for cash flow. And 10 years later, I'm sure we'll do really well on the stuff we're buying now. When you t- I'm going to go jump around a little bit on this, is that you've done some cashing out. Now, I, I, I recall I saw a post or something that you'd done. You bought your mother a car or you bought her a house. What did you do? You did something. Was that part of your beliefs? What, what was it, Derek? Yeah, so uh, quickly, um, the first three condos we ever bought in Agassiz in 2006, we sold them three years later. And to, to one gentleman who, as part of his down payment, included a vehicle, Yes, it's the only deal I've ever done like this, but it was a nice little SUV. So that year, I think it was 2009, we drove up to my mom's house with that SUV all bow tied up and videotaped it. And that was, you know, a ton of fun. We love watching that video because she's a real ham. Like her reaction was awesome. And then I actually bought, um, I had a Lexus and when I got my Tesla, I gave my mom my Lexus. Got so she's just tickled pink with the Lexus now, and it's a really nice car as well. So that that's the story there. And actually, part of my Belize uh, this year was paying off my mom's mortgage. So she's now leaving work earlier than planned and is really pumped up on life. So that feels awesome. Now, you talk about we. You, you use the reference we. Have you got joint venture partners, business partners? Uh, give me a little bit of your corporate structure, or what you're doing in that regard. Yeah, so I always like saying we just because it's it's uh, better than I all the time, right? right? But like everything I do is a team group effort. Couldn't do it without the joint venture partners. But basically, I'm the sole owner of Pevercon Properties Inc. Right. Uh, and Super Super Sweets is a trademark brand, so it's not actually an incorporation. And when we expand to Calgary, then the local partner there is uh, usually a 25% owner. So I give up half the management ownership in the joint venture to the local partner. That's how we usually structure it. So I always encourage them to say that they're part owners of Super Suites, also the operations manager for the city, but it's it's we. Cool, got it. And I, and I love that, by the way. That's That's really great. Listen, I want to go back a little bit now. You know, you've given us lots of where you're at and that's cool and... Congratulations on all that you've done and all that you're doing. Love it. So, you know, you you talk about working on the tugboats because that was part of your family history. That doesn't ring to me that you were born with a, you know, silver spoon in your mouth. You know, you know, you're not part of the Lucky Sperm Club. You've come out, you've worked hard, you've done all your thing. When did you quit getting a paycheck? When did you leave your job? Did you jump off the cliff and build the plane on the way down or what did you do? Yeah, so I basically worked on the tugboats for nine years from when I was 17 to 26. So it was a great uh, stepping stone. Like I was able to qualify for nine mortgages. They just love you when you have a salary. I had great time off. So I was always renovating and doing real estate stuff in my time off. And usually also on work days, getting changed in the car every day before work. 
But in 2009, I took a year leave of absence. That was an option to me through my union. Everybody at work knew basically what I was doing because I would work a lot on the boats and various people from work were already investing. But I like to say I cut the umbilical cord in 2009. And, um, you know, after that, like I was making really good money on the tugs and with my real estate income at the time, it was, it was good. And after that, it's like Seth Godin says the dip, right? So I went through the dip where of, of no paychecks and, you know, six months without get a dollar coming in and trying to figure that out. You know, we had tons of deals that we wanted to buy and people weren't biting just because the, you know, atmosphere at the time and us being new and young and everything. So yeah, there's definitely, you know, down times and hard times in there around 2008, 2012. But, uh, you know, when Carson left the company, he kind of did a noble thing because instead of feeding two, we were just feeding one now and kind of helped us survive. And, you know, that's basically how it went. And then just, just recently, honestly, the real estate has appreciated so much that I really feel like we'd made it. Now, when you were growing up, did you have, where did this kind of entrepreneurial spirit show up for you, Derek? Where, you know, did you, did you, did you come out of the shoot knowing that you were going to one day be a entrepreneur or how was it that that evolved for you? Were your parents entrepreneurial? What did your parents do? What, you know, your dad was on the tugboat. Was your mom a working mom or was she a stay-at-home mom? What was the background there? Yeah. So my mom is just super smart. Um, and she basically works always in office work, you know, doing clerical type work right now. She works at Maple Ridge secondary as an office clerk. Mm -hmm. And my very first job when I was 17 on the tugboats, I made more money than my mom did, which is just crazy because how smart she is and what a good worker she is. So, you know, yeah, I had, I think I had good parents and good you know, work ethic and stuff like that. But I, I basically started, you know, my older brother had a paper route and then I kind of inherited that really young. I remember I worked at a first job, actual job I had was at a loony store when I was in grade eight and I was making six fifty an hour. All my friends were outside at the skate park. So I guess I've always had a bit of a wanting to make money and, you know, succeed and do things. Um, and, and on the tugboats, you know, I climbed the ranks pretty quick. And I was going to be actually the youngest captain at C-SPAN. I had my 60 ton ticket when I was 22 and had completed the training, but I actually decided to keep my seniority as a deckhand because of all my real estate stuff. I'd kind of already decided in my heart that I wanted to do that instead of climb up the ranks to become a, a river pilot or a coastal pilot, which is kind of the top of the ladder there. So yeah, I've always I've always been a climber, you know, not a camper. Like like uh, I think it's Jim Rohn says that. Doctor Paul Stoltz. Okay, that's Stoltz. Yeah, that's Stoltz. Yeah, yeah, that's right. That's right. So yeah, no, I you know I I I I don't think I'm smarter than anybody else. I'm really not. It's just I'm willing to stay up all night and grind it out and work. I work a lot longer and harder. Yeah, certainly your reputation as a you know, steady working, hardworking guy precedes you. There's, I, I mean, that's all over the place. You know, Derek is the guy that will just do whatever it takes and doesn't mind hard work and is willing to, you know, just go to the wall for, you know, getting an outcome. Now you, you talk about, you know, once again, you talk about you're young and you're, you've got 
some big visions. I mean, gosh, you know, when you're 25, 27, 28 years old and you're talking about owning 10 doors, five doors, 20 doors, I mean, those are, those are pretty big aspirations. I mean, that, that is for even somebody who's more mature, more accomplished perhaps. Now you're running into the, how do I find money? Now that's always a conversation, as you know, in the rain room, raising capital. If you were to say, you know, when you reflect back, how is it that you finally managed to start to attract capital? What was it for you? Was there a tipping point? Was there a fork in the road that all of a sudden money started to show up? Or can you give me a little bit of insight into that, Derek? Sure. So, you know, my early partners, I put equal amount of money in to the first six deals or so as everybody else and did all the work. So, and got the mortgages in a lot of the cases. So it was an incredibly sweet deal that people almost couldn't say no to early on. It was, you know, Carson's aunt was my dad's friend. It was my tugboat captain. And then there, even after that, there was long periods of time, like six months, eight months where we had tons of deals and just people weren't, didn't have an appetite. Like I always find it ironic that the easiest time to raise money is probably the worst time to buy. And the hardest time to raise money is probably the best time to buy because people just don't see it as opposite of the masses like, like we do, right? So, you know, it is a struggle and, and it's a lot of work reporting to investors and, and dealing with every little call and everything. And to be honest, recently, like it's kind of bogged me down. So I've come to a point now where I, I'm going to be dealing with somebody who it's their full-time job to raise money for me right? And they're going to basically charge a fee and they're going to get a little piece of the ownership, but it's a limited partnership that, you know, they're going to be at the events. They're going to be answering all the investors questions. And I send one annual report instead of dozens and dozens, like tax time is really cumbersome for me these days. So you're learning as you go. And ultimately you're learning that you've got to surround yourself with a great team. You're learning that you've got to get some systems and processes in place. You've got to be able to work hard and be willing to, you know, go that extra mile to raise the capital. It's just not going to fall in your lap. You're single. Yeah, no, I have a girlfriend. She's, she's great. Um, she actually has kids. So we're really excited about the boat for that. Yeah. Get it at, get it June 2nd. But, um, yeah, it's actually a girl that I went to high school with, so I, we're in the same grad class. I've known her a long time, but we just got back together uh, this year. And her brother is actually my business partner in Kamloops. So it all ties in nice. So I guess I asked the question, Derek, is that, you know, are you, because you're saying you're willing to stay up all night. Is that getting in your way of uh, a relationship? Is that, you know, do you think that, you know, if you're, once again, if people are listening, they're going, gosh, I got three kids and I, you know, my wife and my family. Can, uh, can somebody pull that off? Do you think what you're doing? Well, you know, right now I live alone and she lives in pit meadows with her kids. Right. So it's almost like we both have our baggage, if you will, you know, like I've got a bunch of companies and she's got kids. So we're both very (laughs) busy. Yeah. And I think it's very complimentary that way. Like we're both not flying for each other's time as much as you might have normally. But um, I, I expect that, you know, once we move in together and stuff, I'll probably turn into the 5 a.m. guy instead of the 1 a.m. guy. <laughs> That's great. Now, you're, you know, you talk about raising capital in 
when it's tough to raise capital, particularly in, in economies that are uncertain, which are all economies, depending on who you're talking to. So now you're going into Alberta, Edmonton, Calgary markets. We look at Edmonton and Calgary as those markets have kind of been bouncing off the bottom. We're starting to see some green shoots, but there's still some, gosh, there's so much question around politics and pipelines and oil and gas. How are you addressing those issues with your joint venture partners or do your joint venture partners just go, you know something, I have confidence in you, you've got this covered. So is there a specific, the reason I asked the question is because, you know, lots of people in Alberta listen to this podcast and they're raising capital and, you know, what, what, what insights would you give them in terms of raising capital in a market that's still so darn uncertain? So basically... It is hard like to talk BC investors, which is where most of all, all my partners are into an Alberta deal is a tough, tough go. But, you know, some people get it. I think it's a combination of really trusting my judgment. Like a lot of them are existing partners here that I've proven myself to over a long period of time. And they know that I'm not going to do something stupid. Like our interests are aligned perfectly. But a couple thoughts came to mind when you were saying that, you know, one is that we were probably a year early in Calgary. Jumping into a buyer's market or a correcting market too soon, I probably learned a lesson there. And also, I learned a lesson here in BC not to make the mistake of selling and recovery. Like I heard Randy say that the other night at Rain, and I said, Yep, that was me. And when he said, you know, his property that he sold too early, I knew which one it was. So. Right. You know, it's like soon as the thing changes and things are improving, don't jump the gun and sell your dogs too quickly. But yeah, so in Calgary, we probably could have got the same deal today that we got a year ago. Although now it's clearly in recovery because the rental, we're getting great deals on the real estate, but the rental has been really tough. And and having those conversations with investors about an underperforming rental even though you know long-term you're going to crush it, is really annoying, right? So one of the benefits with the new fund that we're putting together is we don't have to have the conversations about one-off dogs, if you will, um, because collectively the fund is going to be doing really well. So you've put a strategy in place that accommodates and gives comfort to your investors. So you're just looking at it, you've expanded on how you view what you're doing in Alberta. And so far that's working for you. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, the benefits that you buy in a, in a really good market to buy, but then the rental might be soft. And I always really over explain to people that, okay, we're buying in Alberta. It's cyclical. Like we were going to have years that are really rough as you know, as good as anybody with Grand Prairie. And, but then in the boom, we're going to catch up and we're going to capitalize on it. And that's, it's just a different game out there. Biggest mistake that turned out to be a good thing. What was your, did you have one of those? Have you had a kind of biggest mistake or failure that turned out to be a bit of a blessing in disguise? Yeah, I would say, you know, certain properties that we bought that I never should have bought. And there were, I don't know that there was any blessing other than the lesson, you know, that it happened to me early yes. um, so that I wouldn't repeat it. But it was basically buying ugly buildings based on cheapness in a really hot market, multiple offers, you know, buying stuff for 160 grand or whatever, but it's got the mansard roof around the side. It's got no in-suite laundry. They don't allow pets. 
It's a really rough resonant profile. And those were the ones in the downtimes that corrected the most. And we almost could have lost money on if we sold at the wrong time. But we just held in there. And, and it worked out in the end where I worked for free for a long time. But our investors made a decent little return and they were happy with it. So, you know, it all worked out. Now, you're seeing today that you feel like, gosh, you're, you've kind of crested the hill, if you will. And, and it feels like you, what you use the phrase, I feel like I've made it, knowing that, of course, there's still always more work to do. Do you feel like you've, you've kind of hit a tipping point where you're, you're on the other side of the hardest work and, and that it's a new set of, or a different game that you're playing at a different level, new, new level of hard work, but you feel that financial pressure's off a little bit? Yeah, it's, you know, it's, you could always have a hiccup and be back to square one. So I'm not, you know, oblivious to, to that, you know, you don't want to be the Kodak who doesn't see something coming and just gets wiped out. But basically I got a bit of breathing room now because I've, I've sold a whole bunch of properties, you know, I don't have any debt and, and just building that financial fortress around your family that nothing can get through. Right. That's the saying. And it's, I'm just basically trying to to do that. And with the big appreciation, you know, something comes up like a medical situation or something, I could sell a condo or two. So, you know, feels pretty good. Now, it sounds like, you know, for you, the bit of a fork in the road was when you went to the Rich Dad, Poor Dad, you ran into some RAIN members, you read the book, seemed like a, to me, it appears like an obvious fork in the road. Was Was that the case for you, do you think? Big time. I remember reading that book and the second one, the cash flow quadrant, just straight through and taking notes and like people couldn't even talk to me. Like I was just, I was like, this is it. This is my calling. I got to do this and get on this. Have you had any other forks in the road in the past five, 10 years that you, that other forks in the road that stand out for you? Well, probably when my partner left the company, you know, that was pretty disheartening like you know i wanted him to stay on and he he was gonna leave and we had both just moved to abbotsford to start our business and didn't know anybody and then he's moving back out of town and i'm staying like i could easily packed it in or went in a different direction then but other than that you know it's just kind of steady eddie plugging away you spend a lot of time with rain members and in the rain room and you talk to a lot of people and you observe what do you see the difference between you at a relatively young age and others at that age? What do you, what do you see is the difference between achieving what you've achieved and another person not achieving that yet they say they want what you've achieved? What do you think the difference is? Is there anything that stands out for you? Well, like I, I always think of Jim Rohn and you know, he says some do, you know, some don't and don't try to figure it out. Almost. It's like, you know, some people reach for it and some people don't. Like, I I remember I've come with so many different friends over the years to rain. Like we started with a core group of four. Within two years, I was the only one left. I've had lots of other friends come and go over the years. You know, I don't know what the difference is, what keeps you steady. It's just, you know, a lot of people go from one shiny thing to the next. You got to really stick to something for an incredibly long, consistent amount of time if you want to get some really awesome results. Now, you had your Belize 
you had some goals around that Belize. Was that something that you linked to uh, a lot or was it just always something that was percolating in the background that you just knew that that was a vision that you were committed to achieving? You really wanted that. It goes back to the why you're doing it. And what's your thoughts on that? Do you, do you see where people just don't have a strong why? They're in there for the money. They want to actually make money really fast and re- get there really quick and not have to put in the work. Do you think that's probably what's in the way? Yeah, maybe, you know, with me, my mom was a big driver because I really wanted to look after her and retire her because I always felt she worked so hard, you know, to raise me and my brothers. And I, you know, I bought her a trip to Mexico for her birthday with her friend and surprised him with the swim out room and all that. And it's just, you know, that to me is just the best. So that's been a real driver for me. You definitely have to have a strong why. I've thought that lots of times over the years, you know. How does it make you feel? How did it make you feel the day that you got to turn over your keys to your car to your mom or give her a trip? It's the best feeling in the world, really. Like, that's why I do it. And, you know, I only felt comfortable getting a new car because my mom's getting one, too. <laughs> that's great. Now, do you have siblings? Do you have a brother, sisters? Yeah, I got two brothers. I'm the middle. And are they, do they play the game with you somewhere along the line? What are they doing? Are they involved with what you're doing? Yeah, I think I've rubbed off a bit on both of them. My my older brother, he's in on a few uh, joint venture deals. So he's been able to just kind of recycle his share of one early deal into several other ones over the years as we've, you know, refinanced and grown. I know he wants to do a lot more. You know, he's uh, recently just become a captain at C-SPAN and he's going to be running tractor tug soon. So he's starting to make really good money. His wife is awesome. She's a regional manager at Starbucks. They own a nice big house in Maple Ridge that they're going to be using to invest more. My little brother is only 21 and him and his girlfriend bought a condo in Pitt Meadows about a year ago. And they've already got a $50,000 bump on that. So he bought his first place before I even did. So <laughs> that's great. That's awesome. And also here's another one for you, Patrick. I got this idea from Russell Westcott was he was telling a story of how he got his nephew a little, you know, share of a condo for Christmas. So I did the same for my little brother probably seven or eight years ago. And he owns a little 10% share of a condo in Abbotsford and he watches his little, it's basically just under my name. I pay the tax and everything, but it's a little family arrangement that he'll He's at, we refinance that to buy a condo in Willoughby Town Center that he's got 10% of that now. So you know, he's interested. He's, he's just focused on his trade, a pipe fitter and getting his career going. And I'm sure he's going to wind up owning a bunch of real estate. Good for you. You know, that's a great, that's a great idea, by the way. I love that. Now, you're a pretty humble guy. You know, you, you do what you do and you are always helpful for people and and you're willing to even share in the kind of conversation we're having today. You talked about Jim Rohn. So I think many have read Jim Rohn's stuff. I love Jim Rohn. I like a lot of uh, his work and and I read a lot of different authors and personal development, professional development stuff. What do you, what do you read? What is, what's kind of, do you have some go-to books that you would recommend that people tap into? Yeah, you, you know, it's it's kind of sad because I, I love collecting books, but for the last four or five years, I've really just been listening to books, which sucks because you can't put them on the shelf after. Right. Um, but my, my original collection at the office is pretty good. And, you know, I give the same staples that probably you've heard a bunch on the, on the podcast, which is Don's books, Think and Grow Rich, 
But a, a lot of what I like doing is is throwing on YouTube and just going into, you know, Jim Rohn seminars or Les Brown or Zig Ziglar stuff and just getting, you know, pumped for the day while you start your day running around the house, get that pumped up. So, yeah, I do a lot of listening and it's, it's all on YouTube University. That's where that's where I've attended. That's great. That's a, I think that's just a millennial thing to do anyways, right? It's quick. It's easy. It's, I know that myself, I, I, I'm, I'm tending to go towards video often, short video mm -hmm. learning segments. I find mm -hmm. them really powerful. I fall asleep really quick when I'm reading. It's a problem. <laughs> you probably need glasses. Hey, um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so tell me about your day. You accomplished a lot. You work hard. Do you have a routine what what is it that you do to maintain your energy and and keep going? I mean, aside from being youthful, do you are you a workout guy? Do you pay attention to your diet? How yeah. how much do you look after yourself in that kind of space of physical, mental, emotional? Do you have a routine around that, Derek? Yeah, so I always hear my dad in the back of my head saying, "You gotta you gotta feed the machine," because I am I am guilty of you know probably overworking myself for sure, but. I try to go at least two nights a week to group fitness. I've been doing that for seven or eight years consistently at the same place with the same group of people. And we do TRX training. It's kind of like a CrossFit hybrid that I really enjoy because if I don't show up, like he'll text me um, or email me and be like, where are you? Right? right. And I pay, I pay if I don't show up by design. Right. So I'm too, I'm too uh, frugal to just be waiting. <laughs> you know, my membership dues like that. Cause it's quite expensive to go to per, like personal group fitness like that. So, you know, you just, you go way harder in the group setting than you do on your own at the gym. It's just way better. So I, I do that. You know, I've, I've always had a dog my whole life other than the last couple of years. So I do a ton of dog walking. You know, my girlfriend has a dog. I like doing that just for peace of mind. I'll meet my my dad and my mom on the weekends and go for walks with their dogs. That's always been a big part of my life. And uh, other than that, I really enjoy working. And that's my happy place is at my laptop, you know, in a nice setting, working, producing. I love it. If you were to say that you've had, you know, if we if I asked you what you think your biggest accomplishment to date is, and with no parameters of, whether it's in real estate or outside of real estate or whatever it is, what's your biggest accomplishment to date or what are you most proud of having accomplished? What am I most proud of having accomplished? You know, I'm really proud of super sweets. Like I think we've created a recognized national brand that's respected in the industry and has a really, you know, it's all about the experience that the, the tenant customer has like we don't need to be the biggest there's guys way bigger than us but i just like to think that when people use super sweets they have a you know even if something goes wrong with the suite they'll always at least have a good experience with the way that the people de dealt with them so you know super sweets i'm really proud of that's probably my my biggest accomplishment i want to talk a little bit about your role as a business owner and a leader you know to your point about super sweets and what you've accomplished. Do you spend time learning about leadership? Do you spend time being really mindful, thoughtful of how you're showing up and how you're occurring as a leader? Part two to that question is, 
are you conscious of the environment that you're creating for your team that supports them in succeeding? Yeah. And I, you know, I'm far from perfect, but uh, a couple things come to mind would be Jim Collins, good to great, you know, trying to be strive to become a level five leader, which is basically the key thing is humility. And I always think of Richard Branson when I deal with people, because he says, you know, you have to have at least three parts or five parts of praise for every negative thing that you point out about a team member. So I'm always trying to say good job. And, you know, these suites are looking way better than when I looked after them or just always trying to praise people and grow them. And, you know, he also says, you don't just kick someone out of the family as soon as they make you mad, you know, you maybe realign them in the company or work through it. So I think that's really notable about our company is we've had people stay six, seven years, whereas other companies have turnover all the time. So, you know, we let people make mistakes and work through them. And I try to lead by example, right? Like if I say they're going to get something at a certain day and time, they get it. You know, I'm guilty of being late to the odd meeting, but very respectful of their time and and everything. So I'd, I'd like to think that I create a good culture. And I think creating jobs and even with contractors in a positive setting is is like a noble thing to do because a lot of jobs that I've had, I've hated the culture. So I know what that's like. And I never wanted to create something like that at my own company. Now, you, you know, because this is part of the, what we call, or I call the RAIN member series, you've been in the room 11 years and, you know, out of that, you've created some great relationships, probably done some great business in there. And how do you view RAIN versus perhaps what you've experienced with others? But what's your view of RAIN and, and how is it that you've been able to continue 11 years later, you still see value in the community. You see value in what we do. I mean, gosh, I I know you miss some meetings, but not often. And you're always Mm -hmm. totally attentive when you're there. And I'm going, gosh, Derek, how many times have you heard this story? You know, so tell me a little bit about what is your experience when you come to the room and why is it 11 years later, you're still doing it? Yeah. So, you know, I, I really appreciate you guys. Like, I don't know where I'd be right now if it wasn't for rain, to be honest, because it's been such a critical part of my story and my growth and learning so just paramount for me but you know early on it was so refreshing coming into my first rain meetings and just being like finally this is where they're going to teach us the actual goods and not just a little teaser and a run to the back typical seminar that's the only type i'd ever been to that gives seminars a bad name right right um and and basically just the quality of spending that weekend, that first acre weekend where you walk through how to analyze, how to market it, how to sell it, how, how to do everything. It was just so refreshing. And, you know, from, from that point, it felt like every meeting was catered to me because I was just ready to learn that particular thing. And then at a certain point, you know, that rate of soaking up slows. And I think that's where a lot of people start fizzling out. But you know, I might, I'll get maybe one key idea when I'm at a meeting or somebody to talk to, um, or, and, and to be honest, a lot of time lately, I'm going there to see how I can help and how I can give back, not just take 
from the room, right? Like maybe I can give somebody a little good idea like was given to me back in the day. And, you know, basically I go there to see my friends. It's like just a hangout uh, once a month and say hi to everybody. Like I got a lot of partners there and it's just a good chance to connect in person with a, with a lot of people that I deal with on a regular basis. You know, we all face hurdles in our life at some point, challenges that are really in our face. Is there a specific or, because when we were just leading up to the show, I had recently done an interview with Dave Toynbee. And of course he had some really big challenges and physically around some stuff. And, and he's just a warrior through all of that stuff. Loved his story. And, and Dave's just a great guy. Have you had some hurdles that were pretty epic for you that you've had to face? Or you've been, do you think you've been pretty fortunate or have you had to actually bump up against something and get over it that you would share? Yeah. So Dave's a good friend of mine and you know, I, I, I very few people can touch that guy's story and his resiliency, but, um, you saw overall, I've been super lucky. Like my core family, everybody's healthy. Well, no real issues. Um, myself, my health has been good overall, you know, um, haven't been to the doctor in God knows how many years. So super, I'm, I'm lucky. Like I've got it easy. I always say if, if I couldn't have made it like at this point in time in this area, being born into middle-class, like you could never do it anywhere. So, but as far as, you know, my hurdles would maybe be downturns in the market, right? Vacancy. When you got a lot of properties and a bunch of them are vacant and it's a soft market, like it's, it's not a fun time. So, you know, I had to go to my dad in 2000, 12 or 11 or something and get, you know, a $25,000 bailout loan to cover all the accounts and work my way out of it. So that's probably a low point. You know, when you got to go to the bank of dad, you're supposed to be all successful. You've got who knows how many 50, 60, 70 properties, and you got to go for a, a little loan from your dad. That's, that's not a good time. Right. So, you know, there's, there's definitely been struggles uh, and hurdles along the way in that sense. But now I've been, I'm very careful not to oversupply myself because of those challenges that I've, the challenges that I've had. What's your mindset around whatever hurdles you might face? You know, in this case, it was cash shortage and talk about writing checks in a downturn. Gosh, I can share some big stories with you about that one, as (laughs) you know. Um, Yeah. But what's your mindset around it? Like, do you, do you have a, place that you go in your mind, in your head that keeps you moving forward? Is there a certain attitude that you think you have developed or are are conscious of? I think I get over things a lot quicker than most people. Like I'll, I'll feel the damage. Like, you know, let's say I get a really nasty letter from a strata that they're coming after me, or maybe a city's coming after us or something for short term rentals, you know, I'll let it hit me. And then basically just deal with it real quick. Like I don't, I don't dwell on the negative. And I think to an extent that it probably annoys some people around me, how quickly I can just kind of water off the ducks back, not a big deal, plowing forward kind of mentality. So I think I'm, I'm resilient that way. It's interesting. I have certain qualities and one of them is that I will, like you, I don't hang on to stuff too long. I don't hold on to bitterness a long time and, and I can get activated, but it's really tough. And people have actually in heated debates or the other side of it in, in emotional settings have said to me, how can you be so calm? And I go, 
Just mm-hmm. because I'm calm doesn't mean I care less, mm-hmm. but I'm really of the mindset that my emotions don't own me. I own mm-hmm. my emotions and it serves nobody for me to go off the top. And believe me, I've, I can be pretty activated in an angry kind of way. Takes way, way a lot to, to push that button and emotionally mm-hmm. just over that. So you, you seem to have that same quality where you're really conscious of your emotions and you're going, it serves nobody for me to go over the top and, you know, start ranting and raving and or fighting back. I think it's a sign of a more developed individual, you know, when you can control yourself a bit more. I think it's a great leadership quality. And, um, so good for you. That's great. You know, I'm, I'm, you know, I don't want to harp on it, but I think honestly, Derek is that that's a quality. I can say that at 34 years old, I didn't have, and it mm-hmm. certainly was much later in my life that I started to become aware of that. So good for you. I love the path that you're on. Tell me something, Derek. You know, how do you define success? You know, I guess the first thing that comes to my mind is I always like this quote, service to many leads to greatness. So I think if you have the ability to offer good service or help or have an impact on a lot of people's lives or doing good things, then that that would be great. You know, if, if, you're, if your funeral has a lineup down the street, that's a good sign. Service to many. Leads to greatness. Leads to greatness. I love that quote. That's great. I, I'm not familiar with that. So thank you for that. You know, as yeah. we as we start to, you know, wind the show down, Derek, is there anything that, you know, you would like to share that I haven't got to or you were hoping I would ask you about? Is there something that would be helpful in terms of our listeners and Derek imparting a little bit of his youthful wisdom on us? Well, that's a pretty big question. You know, I wish I had something more, but I like to just defer to the, to the greats, you know, and, and like Jim Rohn says, these are things that I live by every day. It's, you know, don't wish it was easier, wish you were better. You know, the same wind blows on us all. It's the set of the sail that determines your final destination. And I always like to think, you know, how would Warren Buffett deal with this situation? How would he treat, you know, this board that's coming after him? Or just kind of think what what people that I look up to, how what, how would they handle it? And you just try to basically mirror them in your own way. And then you kind of, you, you adopt those attributes for yourself. You know, it's interesting that you talked about what would Warren Buffett say or do. And I have a good friend of mine, I shouldn't say good friend. He's a friend and a really good acquaintance. And I've known him for many years, very, very wealthy, hundreds of millions of dollars. And I look at him and I always go, gosh, if he can do it, I can do it. But my question to me is what would Bill do? And you know, that's, that's my question to myself always, how would Bill handle this situation? And probably I don't get, get back to it enough. And, and the other thing that you said in that was, I think really impactful or meaningful is and it's impactful for me because I also uh, this is a quality that I bump up against and I see others bump up against which is to say I wish it was easier and the reality of it is it's only as easy as you think it is or it's only as easy as your expectation so in other words this is what it is you know you think well it should be you know easier lifting this weight well that doesn't make you stronger number 1 <laughs> 
And number yeah. two, if it, if it was easy, then you wouldn't be doing it really because there's no gain in it. So do you think yeah. do, you, do you think you manage expectations around what's easy? Because I often when I coaching you know members and clients around that particular topic, it shows up in different ways. But ultimately, you have to stop and say your expectation that it should be easier is actually setting you up to make it hard. Yeah, I agree. That ring true for you. So when you're going through what you're going through, are you wishing it was easier or are you just going, no, this is what it is. It is a bit of a mindset. Would you agree? hundred percent. Okay. I always like to wind the show up with, you know, my rapid fire questions. And if you're, uh, if you're ready to, you know, be on your toes around some rapid fire. Let's do it. Let's do it. Okay. What's your favorite swear word? Fuck. <laughs> That's a popular one. You know, it's if I ask that question 10 times, it's that seven for sure. Might say it with an A. Fuck. <laughs> 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 if it wasn't real estate, would you go back to tugboats or what profession would you take on beyond real estate these days? Tugboats, 100%. 100%. You love the water? You love the boats? What is it about you, that that you love so much? It's just my, it's in my blood. You know, I love the the horsepower. I love the, just being out there on the water on a first thing in the morning, you know, going up the river. It's just, just awesome. If heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say when you arrive at the gates? Good work, I guess. I probably get that every show. <laughs> On a scale of one to 10, how weird are you? Scale of one to 10 for weirdness, probably uh, an eight. Yeah, you know, <laughs> I don't think so. There's my, I, I wouldn't put you there, but I know people generally put themselves as quite weird. What are, you, <laughs> what are you just not very good at? I mean, as you're developing your business, you know, you've been doing it all, but what have you discovered that you're just not very good at and you got to dump that? You know, I get bogged down with paperwork and details and pad forms and all that kind of stuff. And I make a lot of mistakes when I'm invoicing and little detail work like that. Okay. So you know what my answer to that is, right? I read out and I am. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Room, desk, and car. What do you clean first? I like having a clean workspace first for a good mentality. You know, before I sit down at the computer, I like everything to be tidy in the, in my condo. Uh, but I do keep a clean car as well. Secondary to that. Yeah. You got that brand new Tesla. You, how are you digging that by the way? Love it. The white interior keeps you on your toes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, if you, uh, do you have a favorite tune, favorite song that you like favorite music, favorite song? Yeah. I like all so many classes of music. If I had to pick a favorite song right now, probably be life by bone thugs. Favorite movie? Braveheart. What are you grateful for? I'm grateful for good health. Yeah, me too. Love this question. Always a favorite part of the show. Always gets me grounded in my day as we kick off. And grateful always for my guests. And certainly grateful to know you and to have had you on the show today, Derek. Thank you very much for taking the time to uh, share all of your lessons, share some insights, share your story. Lots of great nuggets and value in this. So thank you very much. Thank you for having me, Patrick. It was a lot of fun. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for listening. 
If you found value in the podcast, please take the time to rate and review and share with others, share with your friends. As it is my goal to always improve and to provide the highest value for you, the listener, if you have any comments, suggestions, or questions you'd like answered, please email me at ceo at raincanada.com. That's ceo at reincanada.com. I look forward to hearing from you. And until next time, Patrick out.